I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter number 8. We were looking in chapter 7 last time, and we said that chapter 7 and 8 go together, and it deals with the difference. Who's better, the Aaronic priesthood or the Melchizedek priesthood? Melchizedek being a picture or a type of our Lord Jesus Christ and then begin to give why Christ is superior in his priesthood to the Aaronic priesthood. And when we looked at chapter number 7, we were looking at the picture, the typology in verses 1 to 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that, king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So we see the picture, Aaron Melchizedek, which is better. Now we take a look. And then we started to look at the two uh, different ones, the priest versus Jesus Christ. And in chapter 7, we said that the Melchizedekian priesthood is better, or the Christ priesthood is better than the Aaronic because of the paying of tithes, which we just saw what Abraham did. And in verses 4 down to about verse number 10, It deals with this receiving of tithes. So what he's saying there is the the, the author of Hebrews is showing that the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was in the uh, lineage of Abraham because Aaron would be his great-grandson. And in reality, they were tithing to Melchizedek through Abraham. So the conclusion under the law, the Levitical priesthood received tithes from the people, but back in Genesis 14, they paid tithes to Melchizedek. So what we're showing here is that he had the authority to receive those tithes because his priesthood was better, okay? And then we were looking at not only because of the paying of tithes, but because of perfection in verses 11 down to verse 22. And, of course, when you looked at that, you saw that 
If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it they received the law, what further need was there for another priest that should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? What's the problem? The problem is the priesthood wasn't perfect in the Aaronic era. It was made as a necessity because of the law. And they had to go and take care of things first dealing with them own selves because they were just as much a sinner as anyone else. And the Lord did not come out of the tribe of Levi where the priest came from, but our high priest came out of Judah of which nothing was said about priesthood whatsoever. And so we go went through and we saw that last time. And uh, then we saw because of perishing. And we saw that these priests died. There were many priests because they were suffered as the normal human beings do, sinful lives. Therefore, they have a sin-cursed body, and they had a time limit. And there was a time when they no longer lived. Well, when we look at then Christ, we see the fact that he was continuing. But this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. It never changes. He's the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. He never changes. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Remember when we were there? Mm, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself, for the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Now we come to chapter number 8, and we see in the first five verses, because of the pattern that was shown. But look at verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, and I just gave you a whole boatload of great things about Jesus Christ. This is the sum. This is a summary. This, the word can mean a summary. It also has the idea, carries the idea, the main point. Okay? This is the sum. Let's just put this into one point. Main thing. The principal thing to get out of this. We have present tense right now. We have such an high priest like that one who is holy and undefiled and separate from sinners and unchangeable priesthood. We have such a high priest who is set, aorist tense, done deal. That's where he's been since he ascended back into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, who is set on the right hand. That's the hand of power. He is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And it continues on. And we'll look at that. 
But let's just take a look at what we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews concerning Jesus Christ and why he is so superior. Back in chapter number 2, verse number 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation. Thank you, Lord, for the sins of the people. Hebrews 3, 1 and 2. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, capital A, and high priest, capital H and P, of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Our high priest is Christ Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Chapter 7, verse 11 again. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there of another priest that should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Because it wasn't perfect in any way, shape, or form. Because verse 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. I love that. By the which we draw nigh unto God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have a tremendously great high priest. The Bible says we have a high priest, and he is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. How about that? A one who ministers, a servant of the sanctuary, the holy place, and the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man how about that he's the official priest he ministers in the holy place and he can go in there because he is absolutely sinless and perfect that is the true tabernacle which is erected not by man no it wasn't built by man but by the Lord. That's the sum. We have the greatest high priest there is. He has his seat in the seat of authority, the right hand. He ministers in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, the one that God set up and not man. He said, every high priest, you know, they're supposed to offer gifts and make sacrifices. So it follows that in the holy places this man would have something to offer if you look at what the bible says the next verse for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to offer for if he were on earth he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve unto the example okay or pattern and shadow 
we have the idea of typology shadowing it of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount okay now what we have here is he as the exalted minister of the real tabernacle has something to give but if he comes to this earth he's just among a bunch of priests he went back to heaven to sit on the right hand of God of power because he has something to offer he's offering intercession he is there and he is unchangeable the pattern of the tabernacle and by the way the tabernacle has got typology woven through every stake the curtains I mean that go around the colors there are there's there's hundreds and hundreds of typology in that tabernacle there is a DVD by a converted Jew and uh, he's been at our church his son's been at our church in Florida and he did this DVD on the tabernacle and the typology in it and it's one of those DVDs don't even think about getting a piece of paper and pen and writing anything down he's going fast I have actually sat down and watched it in the neighborhood of five to seven times and every time I watch it I think did I get a new DVD I don't remember him saying that before and it happens every time because of how fast he goes and when he was at our church he was talking about if you threw the blood of man up on the wall of the church and you threw the blood of Christ it wouldn't look the same at all what an incredible man deep and, and steeped in the scriptures as a Christian for a long time yet grew up in Orthodox uh, Judaism and understands that that they did in the Old Testament and man he makes it crystal clear but boy he gives a lot in a short amount of time and you have to really pay attention boy I'm so glad that uh, he's living in heaven because if he was on earth he wouldn't be a priest at all they're already priests doing things but he said they just are serving what the pattern was the pattern of what was going to come, the one who would be better, better, superior. You know how I know that? Because we go to the next one. Why is he superior to the Aaronic priesthood? Because of the pattern and now because of the better promises. The better promises verse 6 but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises and what we see here is we see that his ministry was more excellent the first thing we see under the better promises is we are promised a more excellent ministry by Christ. And the idea of the word excellent has everything to do 
with that which is excellent because it is totally different. It is superior. It is distinct from anything else. Nobody measures up to it. It does not have anybody that can measure up to what and who he is. We have a more excellent place because we have a more excellent ministry. How did that happen? Because he's obtained that more excellent ministry. And again, it's in the this is our Lord, and it's in the perfect tense. That means it is a total, perfect, complete, the package deal. By how much also he is the mediator, the one who reconciles everything between us and God of a better covenant, better than the covenant that they received under the Abrahamic covenant, better than what was said because what was said through all those days was the ability to see Christ as the fulfillment of it all. Verse number seven, for if that first covenant had been faultless, unblameable, blameless, then should no place have been sought for the second. If it was fine and if it worked, if it didn't have any blame or things they could put to it, that would be great. But what we find here is because of the better promises, not only the promise of a better ministry, but a better mediator, a better mediator of a better covenant. And it says here, for finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Think about that. I love that thought right there, that the Lord led them by the hand. And certainly he had the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And yet they murmured and complained and were dissatisfied. I mean, they just constantly upset. You let us out here to die. We had it better in Egypt. And the leeks and the garlic and, oh, good grief. And he said, I took them by the hand, but they just didn't continue in my covenant. So I had to disregard them. He said, so I, I'm going to have to do something else. And so what he said is, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And it's, it's going to happen one day. And there are a lot of uh, prophetical verses that say it's going to happen. He said, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be a God to them. And they shall be a, to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. How about that? His days are going to come. I'm going to put my laws in their mind. I'm going to put it back. They're going to remember everything. And it's going to get engraved in their hearts. And when that happens, in that prophetical day, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. They don't need to go around teaching anybody anymore because 
everybody's going to know the Lord. From the very least to the very greatest, he said, I'm going to be merciful to their unrighteousness. I'm going to be merciful to who they are. Do you see that in there? He said, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, let me just stop here and give you a little uh, thought process. In the church, you and I who are part of the church, okay, we are looking forward to prophecy. And we know that there is two parts. There is the rapture of the church where the church goes out and the tribulation begins. So when we talk about the second coming of our Lord, we could be talking about the rapture where he, we meet him in the air, or we could be talking about the end of the tribulation when we come back with him on white horses as Christ ends the whole thing and it's all done. There's no more. Satan now is cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. Well, when it comes to Israel, it's in two parts. Part one of prophecy is that they would be able to come back. They would be able to come back. And There's two things that had to occur. They had to come back as a nation because they had been scattered and dispersed and then this burning in them to come back to the homeland of Israel but they will come back in unbelief you and I are watching that okay let's first of all let's go back to the first part in Ezekiel 37 son of man can these bones live And he makes it very crystal clear as those bones came up and the skin and the sinew and all that came back on them that this was the restoring of Israel complete. And it talks about Judah and Israel coming back together as one. And they became a nation in 1948. In 1917, during the upheavals and the Bolshevik Revolution and all, nobody wanted them. They carved out a section. They didn't own anything, but they carved out a section where they could go in Israel. In 1948, they became the nation of Israel. To my knowledge, the only nation to stop being a nation and then become a nation again. Then they are being led. We have seen over the past 20 to 30 years, we have watched this migration of people as they burned in their hearts to go back to their homeland. But they're in unbelief, and they have factions, and there's the Likud party, the Labor Party, and things that uh, are going on over there. Some say land for peace, others say no way, we're Orthodox Jews, and we it's God's land. But nevertheless, that is where they're at. But There is coming a day there will be 144,000 sealed witnesses and God will bring them back. They will turn the lights on. Zechariah says they will see those nail prints and say, where did you get those wounds in your hands? And he will say in the house of my friends. 
and God will write this laws in their mind and put it in their heart and burn within them the fact that they know him. And I'm telling you, that day is coming down the road. Like you and I are looking forward to the rapture. One day that will happen. I will be, he said in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 8, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Amen. We go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the new covenant. And what we see is everything's better because we have a better high priest who died on the cross and rose again and is at the seat of power. And you and I as Christians have a great high priest seated in heaven who we go directly to, if we confess our sins, not to some man down here, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means to agree with. So as a Christian, when you mess up, yes, the Lord knows what you did. He knows that it is a sin. He knows it's sinful. He's not wanting you to confess because he doesn't know. He's not saying, talk to me and, you know, I'll be shocked because you did this. He already knows. You've been convicted, and you've either responded to it or ignored it. Or you are being chastened because you wouldn't be convicted. But when we confess, when we agree, and that's just simply saying, Lord, what you are convicting me of through the Spirit of God, that when I did, said, thought this, it is sin against you, and I want you to forgive me for that sin that's a stench against you so that the relationship between you and him can be restored. It is a better covenant. It is a new covenant. It's not ever going to decay or wax away, but the old decayeth. That means it was constantly decaying over the time. It was constantly waxing old. It was always going downhill and was ready to vanish away. And it did at Calvary. And we have such a great high priest that we can actually go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you glad that our Lord made it that way so we can go directly to him and he is the one who is now our great high priest he is far better far superior than the ironic priesthood our father we pray that this will encourage us in you more than it's ever encouraged us before and that we will enjoy you more than we've ever enjoyed you before in sweet fellowship by keeping our sins under the blood and the relationship the way it should be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have an absolutely awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe
been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton, you can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.